0: comedy writer and humorist Doug Kenny completely changed the American comedic landscape after founding the Harvard and National Lampoon he brought a specific dark and twisted satire that gave comedy and took comedy to a dangerous edge that's today on death in entertainment Live from Los Angeles. 911, what is your emergency? Here in Hollywood now. Two counts of murder. Injury and death. Oh my God. Shocking new details. That has stunned the entertainment world. Um, this makes me a little nervous.
1: The hair stood up on my arms.
2: Just like in the movies. What do you call this
0: thing anyway? Death. In entertainment Hello, Dipod Universe.
2: Yes, 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 we are back here.
0: We are back yet again. I'm back
2: in the studio. Hey, there you are. Where'd you go? Um, I was getting my legs waxed after last episode. Well, the one before that, everyone was commenting on my leg situation. Yeah, so. your
0: legs are very distracted.
2: Getting very self-conscious. And uh, I might file an HR report, actually, with some of our listeners. Yeah,
1: we're going to have to speak to somebody. They're canceled. It was basically like basic instinct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. While I was editing, every time Mark crossed his legs, I was like, yeah. whoa.
2: You were like uh, <laughs> Newman from uh, Seinfeld. In that. Oh, geez. Thanks. No, no, no. I'm
1: not Michael Douglas, of course. I'm no. Newman. Well,
2: Newman's the one that's really like losing his shit in in uh, basic <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay. <He's> like... <laughs> yeah, the sweat. Yeah, the, the sweat, sweat yeah. down his forehead. It's not getting better, but yeah, you know what I mean. You know yeah. yeah, of course. He's the only. He's the only other person besides Michael Douglas I can reference from that. Uh, that 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 that. And if you had Gucci to. scene, I could call
1: it. Yeah. If you had to pick one, you know. Yeah,
0: that's one person I know. Yeah. So what is going on, everybody? My name is Kyle Plouffe. My name. Is Mark Mulcarin. And I'm Alejandro Dowling. And today we are going into the tragic death of Mr. Doug Kenny. Doug Kenny. Yes. Legendary TV writer. Not even
2: TV writer. I think he he was pre-when TV writing boom before that happened. He was just like an overall humorist kind of guy. Comedy writer. Comedy yeah. writer. Yeah. Lampoon mm-hmm. guy. Lampoon guy. started a yeah. lampoon, yeah. Set he the tone. It. He create, he co created mm-hmm. with two other people, but he's like the most prominent person that people remember. Oh wow! Yeah,
1: and, and he, very was, influential in you know just comedy in general, the movies, and, absolutely, yeah, yeah, shows, Animal magazines.
2: House, um, Caddyshack, and mm-hmm. yeah, his his inspiration is saw throughout comedy after the nineteen seventies.
1: So, wow! Yeah looking forward to it and we have a string of episodes here that are somewhat related we did wine house uh, yeah then we did the mouse house yeah and now we got animal house hey. oh my god
2: alejandro came in ready to go <laughs> <laughs> he had the let the basic angstein leg thing locked and loaded yeah. <laughs> he had all that stuff ready to go
0: all right we're all ready to go everybody in the car we're going to august 27th 1980
2: let's go Okay, August 27, 1980. Um, Kyle, can you help me out with the top three songs at this time?
0: Let's see what we got here. August 27, 1980. Number three, the SOS band. Take your time to do it.
2: <sighs> this is like a yacht rock. I think yacht rock is like big right now.
1: It's <laughs> <That's> good <laughs> advice, though. Yeah, take got your time to do it. Why rush? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, let's rush into number two, though.
1: Let's do it. <laughs> Olivia Newton John, Magic. Yeah. Du, 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 magic. Magic. It was all right. Okay. Oh, oh, it's magic. Is that the you song? <laughs> no, it's not. I didn't even listen
2: <laughs> to any of these songs before I wrote them down. I'm like, yeah, that's a song, I yeah, guess. sure. <laughs> I'll take your word for it.
0: Number one, Christopher Cross, Sailing.
2: Sailing. I know this one. That yeah, is a, that was beautiful. That is a yeah, thank you. <laughs> Clearly you knew that one. <laughs> Email us for bookings.
0: Yeah.
1: Christopher Cross, he was huge for five minutes. Yep. Yeah. Then he was gone.
2: Yeah, no here. relation to the nineties uh, hip hop group, Chris Cross. Chris
0: Cross,
1: yeah. <laughs> no. And I love this guy because he looked like a normal schlub on the street. Yeah. And yet he was this Grammy winning million selling song I, you know. Yeah. yeah,
2: well, that was every pop white guy singer in, like, the 70s and 80s and stuff, you know, like like Genesis and stuff. They all look like mm. guys that could work a shoe
1: salesman, but right.
2: they're, they're like these big rock stars <laughs> or something. Anyway, Alejandro, could you help us out with the top three movies?
1: Yeah, number three, The Octagon. Bum, bum, bum. Not to be confused with The Circle. Yeah, I don't
2: know what this movie is. I have no idea. Imagine how weird this movie is and, like...
1: We got to find out yeah. a little bit about this Yeah, movie. can we
2: get like the trailer or something for The Octagon? Chuck
1: Norris.
0: Of oh, course. And I've said. Yeah. Hot
2: off of killing Bruce Lee.
0: Yep. Yep, The Octagon. <laughs> the Ninja, Unholy Masters of Terror. No one will admit that they still exist. The okay. Octagon. Yeah. That oh. is sort of related to
1: Bruce Lee. It is. The uh, Secret Killers. Maybe th- They got him
2: because Bruce Lee got killed. Maybe uh, Chuck Norris did have a reason to kill him.
1: The Star Whackers. Yeah, the Star Whackers. Yeah. Only one man can stop the Star Whackers. Exactly. And yeah, the poster. That's about that. Yeah. <laughs> the poster is very ominous looking. Very, yeah. He has a, yeah. Uh, like a ninja disguise on. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something you don't normally put on huge movie stars on posters. It's true. Well, you know, the, it, there was the time for like uh, Kung Fu movies was very big at this time, I feel like. Especially B
2: movies. They they always stayed at number three. They never got to number two.
1: Yeah. Speaking and of number two. Xanadu, rhymes with two. Yeah. Xanadu.
2: I'm doing this movie called Xanadu. Wait, who was that? That's my Sean Connery. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was in that, but... Xanadu? No. You, you oh! Think, you're thinking of uh, James Bond? <laughs> no, I'm thinking
2: <laughs> of uh, that weird Sean Connery movie.
0: Xanadu is Olivia Newton-John, which makes sense that she
1: was had one of the top three songs as well. Yeah, so she's all over the place this I'm year.
2: thinking of Zardoz yeah. Zardoz oh, yes
1: <laughs> that's the one where he's wearing that really weird space outfit yeah it and looks- he has a ponytail yeah
2: it puts my shorts to shame
1: oh, as far, as, as, <laughs> oh, far yeah. as
2: the revealing and everything.
1: Yeah. yeah, your shorts were rather conservative compared to I'd say so. that movie. Yeah. Yeah, Xanadu yeah, Gene Kelly came out to play for that one. Oh, really? Oh, Co starred yeah, yeah. with Olivia Newton John.
2: That movie just seemed like a Coke dream or something. It just oh, yeah. seems <laughs> insane.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. I haven't seen it fully, but from what I have seen, there's lots of colors yeah. and. 80s fades.
2: Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like Barbarella or something. Yeah. Just like just weird. Campy. Campy, weird noises and things are happening and it looks like crap.
1: (laughs) But I love it. Yeah, (laughs) we love it. Yeah, lots of those like uh, matte painting backgrounds. and Yeah. Just a cheap set. Smoke machines. Yeah.
2: It's it's like some MGM lot bullshit.
1: (laughs) But would we have it any other way? No, I don't think so. Absolutely not. I would take that over the CGI of today. I'd take that over
2: the Flash. Tell you that much. (laughs) I
1: don't think you like the Flash very much.
2: I I hated the Flash. (laughs) Yeah. And the Flash hates me.
1: (laughs) Well, the Flash doesn't care what you think about it. Yeah. All right. Number one. Number one. Did you hear me? Yes Numero uno Numero uno Smokey and the Bandit Yeah uh, Starring Burt Reynolds and Sally Field Can't miss this one Huge hit Yeah Really dumb This makes the Dukes of Hazzard seem intellectual
2: Yeah <laughs> It's so like uh, Tenet looks like, uh, <laughs> Dukes of Hazzard looks like Tenet it, uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah <laughs> it had, Like it had no plot It's just a long car chase Yeah With a couple of one-liners I, I think Dom DeLuise was in it as well <laughs>
2: That's my Dom DeLuise. That's great. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> but yeah, made a lot of money. That's why there were three Smokey and the Bandits. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And Burt Reynolds could sell a movie. You know, say what you will about that guy.
1: Yeah. Uh, he can sell a movie. He's sell bald. Movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You guys care. told me that. Yeah. Yeah. He I had no
0: idea. Wore a rug. Wow. Very believable.
1: Yeah. Good rug. Sean Connery, too. Great rug.
2: Sean Connery wore a rug? Yes. I thought he was just kind of gracefully balding throughout his life. No. He
1: took it off for a while. Yeah. Well, after when he started to really get older, he took it off. But yeah, during the James Bond years, that was a wig. Like Travolta did. Travolta was just like, hey, I'm wearing a wig. Then one day he's like,
2: yeah, I'm not going to wear the wig anymore.
1: His wig, though, was so fake looking, Travolta's. Yeah,
2: it was Travolting.
1: (laughs) Hey! (laughs) And speaking of Travolting, (laughs) we're about to Travolt into this episode. Okay, I'll give it to you. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay, Doug Kenny. Let's talk about the early life of this gentleman. Um, born in West Palm Beach, Florida, to Estelle. Stephanie Karch was her maiden name, and Daniel Harold uh, Harry Kenny, uh, both originally from Massachusetts. What's up, massholes? Western Mass, though, so I don't know if it counts, Uh, but the Chicopee area. uh, uh, We'll we'll allow it. Very dicey. We'll allow it. Um, The family eventually moved and settled in Chagrin Falls, Ohio. Ohio. Which Doug always found that funny. Chagrin Falls. It's like mm-hmm. it means like kind of shitty. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Much chagrin.
2: Um his dad got work as a tennis bro and ch- tennis bro. Tennis bro. Tennis
0: bro. <laughs> hey yo, what's up? Yeah. I'm you're... your tennis instructor, dude.
2: <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, he, he that was kind of his job. The family was kind of like um, they were like the Sons and daughters of immigrants, basically. They were like one generation away from being the servant class. So they're trying to make their way up. So if you ever saw Caddyshack, oh, which yeah. Doug Kenny obviously wrote and is inspired by his life, he's basically the Danny Noonan character. Noonan! Yeah, Noonan! <laughs> uh, in which he, he's like kind of like from a crazy Irish Catholic family, and uh, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like the same thing that was going on with, with Doug's background here. Doug lived here from 1958 to 1962. Four, um, it's considered to be a place that helped kind of define him. Um, he grew up an outsider, very quiet observer of sorts. Um, smart kid, very smart. He would be like, you know, he like ran the newspaper and stuff. Um, he would make friends, but never like, like very on the surface. Never like, he would be have like friends at school and stuff, but no one like ever came home to play with him or play hockey or anything like that. He was uh, just kind of a loner in that respect.
1: Which um, is a similar trajectory to many famous comedy minds yeah yeah robin williams was a loner as well
2: yeah yeah that's true uh and he was definitely one of those but it depends on what type of performer some performers are like you know like the bill murray type you know they had friends like the everyday of right their lives, yeah or people around them john right belushi the S- same thing yeah. with john belushi yeah and i think that's why he kind of he got along kind of with those guys later on, but actually Chevy Chase became, like, his best friend. Wow. And I think Chevy Chase had a similar thing in which he grew up in, like, an affluent background seemingly, but he never felt like he fit in with those people, so.
0: Which is crazy, too, because, I mean, just from the little that I, I've heard about Doug, it sounds like he's, like, a really nice guy. Yeah. But... Chevy Chase is like a world renowned asshole.
2: I think that's it. And I think that he it's like Opposites a manipulative kind of situation
0: maybe. <laughs> oh, maybe yeah. I, I
2: don't know. I it's hard to really get to the core of what their friendship was all about. You'd have to really dig in on someone like a, a Brian Dol- Doyle Murray or like Bill or P or um you know, Vankman or people like yeah. that. Not Vankman, the uh, Harold Raymond, Harold Rayman. Cuz they would really know exactly what the dynamics of that relationship is all about. Right. Um, but also from chagrin Falls actually was Tim Conway from the Carol Burnett Show
0: mm,
1: uh. that
2: was like the the main guy like from that town where people like everyone in town loved him everyone knew him mm. when he grew up there but like Doug was not that guy no at all. like no one even knew he existed in chagrin Falls wow and he kind of liked it that way I feel like
1: yeah yeah Tim Conway's of the era of one of those comedy legends that was always on Carson yep. later in the Carol Burnett show. Yeah. Just a beloved. Very like, um, I would say safe comedy too. Yeah, exactly. The one that appealed to middle America.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you could actually play him with the family and mm-hmm. stuff and nothing Doug ever did. You could, you could do around your parents <laughs> no. or, or vice versa. <laughs> um, Doug's brother, Daniel was really like the golden boy of the family. Um, he was seven years older, and he went to Kent State uh, while Doug was still in high school. He was just kind of like uh, the the way I read it when I was kind of reading um the book about Doug was it was kind of like Stand By Me. Do you remember John Cusack's character in that and uh ver- um uh and like the main character like yeah. John Cusack's character dies and the parents like. Loved him, and now, yes. now they feel like they've lost everything. Even though they still have this son, and Doug is the son like they still have. He's kind of a bookie nerd, right? But he's not the same as as the brother who died, um, because Doug's uh, brother would actually he was the golden boy, went to college, got married, and then he um, he got in like this weird car accident where he flipped his car. Oh shit! And they found that he had like really uh, bad like kidneys, and he he wound up dying. Whoa. of kidney failure like later like as as a younger guy
1: wow and that, as like, a result of the
0: car accident not
2: even the car accident the doctor he was
0: diagnosed because he because got because of car that the doc- oh, wow. the
2: doctors actually did like a, a an inspection of like his liver and his kidneys and stuff and saw that he had like he had like a failing
1: uh, like ah. re- renal system there. Yeah, yeah. For a second, I thought you said he flipped his car, died, and they're like, ah, he passed away from kidney failure. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it was COVID. Yeah, so, yeah. Pre-existing condition. It yeah, sounds yeah. like a Disney world yeah, kind exactly. of there. <laughs>
0: um.
2: Yeah. So he had like a serious problem with his bladder and kidneys, and doc- doctors wow. weren't able to really uh, see that until like this bad. They had to open him up and actually see what was going on there because his brother. Had like spina bifida when he was younger. Yeah. Ah. Um, so I think it might have been related to that as mm. a young, young kid. But wow. Doug went to Catholic high school, this place called Gilmore Academy. Hmm. Um in fall of nineteen sixty, he was a freshman there.
1: So he was a Gilmore
2: boy. He was a Gilmore hey. boy, yeah. Yeah. Um he met this there, he met this legendary teacher named Ivo Reagan. Um, they called him Mr. Gilmore. This guy, he was like Robin Williams in Dead Poet Society. Basically, he'd stand on desks. <laughs> oh, give these, like... Captain, my captain! <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'd do. He wear like uh, berets and shit like that. Oh and, like, God! Give these like big speeches standing on desks. Like I want to beat him up. Yeah, <laughs> he'd have like an old cane he like leaned against and stuff. Yeah.
1: Did Shakespeare's soliloquies Ironically. in a Marlon Brando voice? <laughs> Once more,
2: to the breach, my good man! <laughs> You're like, all right, it's 8 in the morning, Mr. Gilmore. Let's yeah. relax.
1: Take it down a notch. Take it down. <laughs> <laughs> slap that beret off your head. Yeah. Can we um, sit down now? Yeah. <laughs> We've been standing on this desk for an hour. <laughs> but he
2: was one of those guys that really, you know, he really inspired Duck. He was like, you know what Doug really needed. Yeah. You know, um, just kind of another outsider, but who was actually on the inside. Cause it's like a Mm. prestigious kind of academy for that area. So it's not like they're like all like, you know, downtrodden outsiders. It's like, it's like not a good, bad place to be, but he's like kind of a weird guy within the system there.
0: Yeah. And it's good as a young person to see, like when you're looking at most adults, you're like, Oh, everyone's just like kind of friggin' boring and just goes to work and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's, cool to see someone who's weird as an adult Mm -hmm. (laughs)
2: exactly yeah
0: (laughs) and doing things a little
2: subversively yeah yeah and not just yeah exactly not just waking up doing the same mundane things and you know hating life this guy actually you know he i I guess uh doug said he was closeted gay too oh wow which you know might speak to why he always felt like an outsider himself maybe in this catholic kind of you know Priesthood, kind of like world.
0: Wait, so Kenny what or Doug was, or Ivo?
2: Ivo was. Oh, okay. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, Gilmore yeah. was. Wow. So this guy that's giving these big rousing speeches. Um, yeah, you know, I think he he maybe he always had aspirations of being a big actor. You know, some mm-hmm. people just like. Either they give it a shot and it doesn't work, or they just always have kind of had that thing. They want to be something bigger than they were. Yeah. And they feel that
1: all the time. And they become an inspirational teacher then. Yeah.
2: Go. And they make their students stand
1: on desks also. Right.
2: Yeah. You After they, they have- get
1: fired. <laughs> I, I think you need to have some strong desks at these academies. <laughs> yeah, everyone's no. standing on them. That poor uh, handyman they hired. <laughs> yeah, a, <laughs> the
2: janitor's like, I'm <laughs> tired of these,
1: these th- boys <laughs> standing on the desk, sir. I've been having to fix them all the semester. <laughs> we broke another desk. <laughs>
0: you twink, stop tap dancing <laughs> on the fucking desks. <laughs>
1: yeah. Our
2: desk budget is, is $20,000 a week at this academy. We can't take it. Like I was saying, he became the head of the school newspaper, and he was very funny and
1: subversive while he did it. And I imagine the school newspaper was a great place to warm up.
2: Yeah, I think it was one of those things. He'd do like you know things where he poked fun at like the administration and stuff, and Mm -hmm. principals, and you know did kind of like cheeky things, but like not going over the edge. That was his big thing. Like he knew how to like play within like the the rule books of you know being. Absurd enough and not, like, really crossing the
1: line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Testing the limits of free speech.
2: Yeah. Until it came to this, like, end-of-year talent show when he was a senior, where he did this big monologue um, in which he touched on subjects like abortion, birth control, racial issues, and, like, a lot of, like, crazy things in front of, like, the entire auditorium and, like, all the parents and stuff that came out. At and, a
1: Catholic school, no less. At a Catholic
2: wow, school. Yeah.
0: That's crazy.
2: And this is something he would uh Mr. Gilmore really
0: inspired him to do. And this is in the seventies. Yeah. Wow. No, no,
2: the sixties. This oh, is 60s. like nineteen sixty four. Whoa. Nineteen
1: sixty five, like around there. Wow. Yeah. And that is exactly like Dead Poets Society. Yeah. I wonder if any of that was I know it was based on the author's experience but very much similar to this
2: yeah it seems very similar but i obviously you know this is not that's not the story doug would ever write no (laughs) not at all (laughs) um the headmaster got really pissed about this crazy monologue but he didn't really do anything about it um so yeah so that that's pretty much his senior year and he's ready to go to harvard um sad story uh Years later, Ivo Reagan, Mr. Gilmore, would later commit suicide in the basement of Gilmore Academy in 1976. Oh, my oh God. God. Yeah, about 10 years after. Jeez. Um, yeah, very sad story. Um, yeah. Maybe I, I thought he would be living vicariously through Doug and seeing, like, hey, you're doing this big national lampoon thing. You mm-hmm. know, you're amazing. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm very happy. But maybe he had a lot of other stuff going on there.
1: Yeah, too bad Doug couldn't somehow involve him. And then that's the Lampoon. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, So in 1964, Doug uh, starts at Harvard and joins a graduating class of 1968.
0: Boston, baby. Welcome to Cambridge,
2: motherfucker. So he, he actually becomes friends with former Massachusetts Governor William Weld
0: fucking billy weld
2: yeah which is also weird because we were talking about woody harrelson being friends with mike pence
1: yeah and the woody harrelson's crazy dad episode so a lot of political and comedic crossovers yeah in history i guess so
2: he meets another good friend this guy peter ivers who was from brookline which is like right down the street and like a very fun musical guy um and and Doug would become very good friends with him. Um, this guy, actually. There's a lot of weird deaths around Doug Kenny's life, uh, besides his own, which we'll get into, obviously. But his friend, this avant-garde uh, musical artist, Peter Ivers,
0: is murdered in 1983. That's in Skid Row, right? I, L.A.? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. I mm. have this in my notes. Really? Yeah. From what? Uh, to do an episode on. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. This is Doug Kenny's. Like
2: he lived, gr- he was down the hall from him at Harvard.
0: Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And
2: he was bludgeoned to death with a hammer, and no one ever knew who did it or what happened. Yep. Oh my, that's
1: and, like Bob Crane.
2: Yeah, and and like he was friends. Uh, and Doug introduced him to like Ackroyd. Hald Ramos, like uh, Bill Murray, all these guys. He was friends with all them too, and John Belushi. Yeah, he would. They would all go out to Martha's Vineyard together, where Belushi had a big spread there.
0: Yeah, I think Peter Ivers did like some sound for films, and uh, yeah, yeah. I I think Mm -hmm. Doug got
2: him a couple things. Um, Either way, Doug uh, is very comfortable at Harvard while he while he starts out there. It was his first time. He kind of felt like he fit in. Yeah, you know, he's out. That's a big, uh, you know, culture shock right there. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for someone that really hated where they came from, it's a good culture shock.
0: Yeah, exactly. And Harvard's such a weird place where it's like you're going to school with you know doctors and lawyers and all these like super intellectuals, and then you have the Harvard Lampoon there where it's just people fucking around. Yeah. But they all end up going on to write for every fucking TV show there possibly is. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And I don't know, what I, I heard... Someone told me that... Um, like, there was a, a definitive start when, like, Harvard Lampoon people, like, the, there was a direct connection, like, a pipeline directly to TV writing. Oh, there is. I mm-hmm. mean, I think it started in the late Conan. 50s or, or 60s. or It started around this time, I feel like.
0: Colin Jost? Uh is like the newest one.
2: Yeah. Well, Al Jean and this guy Mike Reese who did the Simpsons, uh Al Jean is now the showrunner of the Simpsons or the former one or something, but but yeah, there was a pipeline from the national lampoon which actually was created as a result of the Harvard Lampoon. Right. Um which Conan the, too, right? Conan, yeah, he was the he was the head editor of the Harvard Lampoon when he went to Harvard. Yeah. yeah.
1: Was so there was still a Harvard Lampoon in Conan's time. Cause you know how it, I, you're gonna get into this, but yeah. it morphed into National Lampoon Magazine. Yeah. But did Harvard still retain its yeah. other version of it as Harvard Lampoon? They did, yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, so uh, I'll get into that yeah. in a little bit, but yeah, they, they did actually retain like the integrity of the college Lampoon as compared to the the New York based one, which was the National. Lamp-hood. The National, got it. yeah. Um. So yeah. Doug's, Doug's very comfortable there. People think he's like a waspy New England blue blood type of guy, uh, which they think he comes from like, you know, an affluent background, which, you know, he's totally the opposite. Right. <laughs> he comes from kind of very working class background there in Ohio, and people think he's like, he comes from money, but he kind of likes that, I think. Um, he kind of dresses like that too, you know, probably khakis and like boat shoes and stuff.
1: The glasses.
2: Yeah, the glasses. Yeah, very definitive. Um, Like kind of like circle frame glasses he has. Mm -hmm. His best friend becomes this guy Harry Beard, who will go on to be his like business partner and frequent collaborator. He starts the National Lampoon with him after they work together at the at the Harvard Lampoon.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, and this guy Harry Beard, Henry Beard, was everything that Doug wanted to be. Like he was WASPy, old money, intellectual.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Another good pairing then. Like we were just saying, opposites attract. Kind
2: of opposite I I think it's kind of like a same similar Chevy Chase kind of dynamic Mm -hmm. where, you know, he looks up to this guy. He's always looking for like an older brother, I feel like. Yeah. Or something someone like that he wants to be like. He eventually gets to him and Henry eventually get to the Harvard Lampoon where they start writing. At the time they get there, the Harvard Lampoon. It, like, sucks. Like, it's, like, you know how every organization has its ebbs and flows? Yeah. Like, UCB now. Like, five years ago, if you were on UCB team, like, you know, it was pretty much a cash register to, like, get any commercial or TV show in the world. Yeah. Now it's, like, who the hell, what the hell is UCB anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Like, people who started out there were, like, George Plimpton, um, Fred Gwynn. I don't know if you know Fred Gwynn, the guy who was the judge in my cousin Vinny.
1: And Herman oh Munster. My God. And Herman
2: Munster, yes. I was just Wow. Yeah. So that's like the, the the two biggest people that came out of the the Harvard Lampoon at that time. So, Fred wow. Gwynn. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> that was the name. That well the Munsters, of... <laughs> they were big. Yeah, the Munsters were big, yeah. And he was literally a, he's like a seven feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. Um so in nineteen sixty-five, while Doug is there in the early days. This guy, Walker Lewis, takes over. And Walker Lewis, you know, revitalizes the whole thing. There's like three grand left to its name at the Harvard Lampoon. He has this great idea to do a Playboy episode of the Harvard Lampoon. So they're just going to spoof an entire episode of Playboy. Oh, wow. Which is like the. Number one thing right now. It's like if you were going to spoof uh, Maxim Magazine in uh, 1998.
1: Right. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> and by episode, you mean just an issue? In a, yeah.
2: Yeah. In addition of uh, of the Harvard Lampoon is basically a parody of Playboy. But I think they find out within, you know, sex cells actually is a real thing.
1: Oh, it's very real. Yeah. And they it would be a crutch for them in their later years, as you'll get to.
2: Yes. Yeah. It, absolutely. Um, so this this is basically the cover here. Um, Special parody issue. Yeah. So they had to put that on there, I think, for legal reasons.
1: Yeah. Well, they. they... <laughs> I love that because that reminds me of when Norm MacDonald used to say, and now for the fake news. Yeah. yeah. On SNL. <laughs> uh, it was $1.25. $1.25, please. Yeah. That's pretty pricey for that day and age.
2: Yeah. I think so, but they're Harvard kids, out. You know, they're yeah. like, you know, if you can't cough up a dollar twenty-five at Harvard, you know, go fuck yourself.
0: That's true. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs>
2: um, so they asked, uh, they asked Hugh Hefner if they could do this, and Hugh Hefner says no, and the this guy. Walker Lewis flies out to Chicago to tell Hugh Hefner to his face that he's doing it anyways. Nice. (laughs) And they kind of buckle because they talk to their lawyers and their lawyers are like, if you get sued, you know, it's the best thing that'll happen to you. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
2: Because they can't really do anything because if they specifically put parody on the cover, they can't really do
1: anything about it. Yeah, it's totally fair use. Yeah.
2: So this brings Playboy back into being like a relevant thing again. I, b- I mean, uh, the Harvard Lampoon into being a relevant thing again. It sells 500,000 copies.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wait, so they got like, they put this on newsstands like everywhere?
2: Yeah, I think they, they must have sent it out everywhere around Massachusetts because it, it sold 500,000 copies. Wow.
1: Mm, yeah. That's amazing. I wonder what the circulation was for the regular Playboy or the sales at that time. I, I don't know. If that that's a good rivaled question. Rivalled a normal issue of Playboy? No, I think
2: Playboy's in the millions. Way more point. than that. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But still, five hundred thousand—that's massive.
2: That is massive for this little uh, college publication. It, it's unbelievable. Insane. Yeah. Um, so this is around the time uh, where Doug becomes like a key person at the Lampoon, which is like the perfect time to kind of come into it. He like everything this worked out perfectly for him because it became a relevant thing they're starting to get a little more wild yeah. obviously at the Harvard lampoon before it was just like a building where they'd have like stuffy parties where they you know Drank sherry
0: and smoked cigars. Yeah, it was just like a club. It was a It hang. was just
2: a club. They, I, I don't know if you've seen it like, uh, in Cambridge there, but it's like an old like, kind of castle looking building. Oh, I'm sure I've seen Near, it. You're like the Brattle, I think.
0: Yeah. So they have just their own building for the Lampoon.
2: Yeah, they only they have their own building. Oh, wow. So it, which had been there since like the late 1800s or something.
1: Yeah. So this has been
2: around forever.
1: At its peak, Playboy would sell around 5 million copies. Whoa. yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. So they're just riding the coattails wow. of that, which is brilliant. That's what mm-hmm. you got to do. Yeah. Um, you know, always put a, an attractive girl on the cover and just ride the coattails of something else. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that.
1: <laughs> As you said, sex sells. There we go. That's right.
2: So yeah, Doug is like a flamboyant wild character over at the Lampoon now, and he's like a well-known, established person. Like, people are like, this guy's funny, he's insane. <laughs> like, yeah. he has good ideas, and not just like, Let's put, like, a naked girl on the cover. He has, like, actual intellectual parody ideas that he wants to do. You know,
1: he has ideas for the magazine going forward. It's a smart satire.
2: Yeah, he's the type of guy that has, like, the ability to bring the best out of everyone. He's kind of, like, a a leader that is not, like, an over-the-top gregarious prick. Yeah. Which a lot of leaders kind of, like, you know, settle into because it's easier. Mm -hmm. Um, He kind of has his own style. Okay, so finishing Harvard in 1968. Uh, Doug is finishing, um, at Harvard, him, Henry, and this guy, Robert Hoffman are like, what are we going to do with our futures? Cause that must be, you know, if you're a Harvard guy, you feel like it must feel different because you, you basically have a credit card to do anything you want in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The only problem with, uh, getting out of college in 1968 is you're now eligible for the Vietnam draft. Eligible.
0: Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's an eligible bachelor. You want to We've in? got some good news. You are eligible for the draft. Yeah.
2: do we got the plan for you.
0: <laughs> going to
1: beautiful Vietnam in an yeah. unjustifiable tragedy of a war. And you're going to burn it down. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get involved in the My Lai Massacre?
2: Yeah.
0: Get in here. You, you want like? prostate cancer later in life? <laughs> yeah. Agent Orange is for you. <laughs>
2: It sounds like Chris Farley selling the Vietnam War. (laughs) (laughs) This is for you, brother. Let the
0: boy go to war. (laughs) Let the boy (laughs) hold the (laughs) blowtorch in the village. I just want to kill your family. (laughs) Let the boy kill your family. (laughs) (laughs) So
2: (laughs) so, so these three buddies, Robert Hoffman, Henry Beard, and Doug Kenny, they all want to start their own magazine out of college, you know, based off of the Harvard Lampoon. The problem is they got to get out of the Vietnam draft.
1: <laughs> Jeez. Um, so how do they do
2: that? Henry Beard had the great idea of advising Doug um, to just keep postponing the doctor's physical. Um, and then eventually, once he got the doctor's physical, Henry Beard told him to pretend he was going into an epileptic fit <laughs> and, he had, and have foam coming out of your mouth. And Doug did all these like jumping jacks and like cartwheels to get out of the draft. And then the doctor was like, Oh, you have glasses? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're out for that.
0: Wow. Meanwhile, Doug is trying, like, he's, like, he's trying so he's hard. He's like
2: method acting to get out,
0: get out of the <laughs> Vietnam War.
2: <laughs> wow um hoffman actually is the only one of the three actually has to go oh my god oh he actually went yeah he went into the reserves he never went overseas to go into the war Wow. his dad had a lot of money in texas and you know you could buy your way out of these situations let's be
1: honest sure Mm -hmm. Um, that was the whole thing with the vietnam war the people with the silver spoons
2: yeah like george w bush
1: yeah i know fortunate son
2: yeah um, so it was kind of like that situation where he went to the reserves, and yeah, I'm, I'm, he's not going to war. Um, so Doug is out of college and bumming around the Harvard campus. Still, um, he and his—I think his friend Henry Beard was actually a year behind him, so he had to wait for him for a year to actually do something. Um, and they're also waiting for Robert Hoffman to get out of the reserves so they they can start something. In the meantime, they they wrote a parody called "Board of the Rings," a uh, parody obviously on Lord of the Rings. Nice. Um they <laughs> they wrote uh the writer Tolkien Tolkien. How do you spell it Token. Token. They wrote him like they did Playboy years before. He's like, Hey, can now can we do a parody on your you know, on your book Lord of the Rings? He's like, Yeah, go ahead. It's a it's a silly book anyway, he says. Nice. He ain't uh, lying. So they do that, and that does pretty well. It sells hundred fifty thousand
0: copies. How does that do better than Playboy? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> How do wow.
2: hobbits sell yeah.
1: more than naked chicks? But they yeah. only,
2: they only make four thousand dollars each. So I what I, I don't know any of the the. Accounting
1: going on behind any of this. I think their accountant was screwing them over.
2: Yeah, probably Someone's screwing them over. They got a bad deal. (laughs) Their
1: accountant shows up in a Lamborghini.
0: Yeah, how's it going, guys? (laughs) Somebody else made seven hundred and forty thousand dollars.
2: Yeah, what are we working on next, fellas? Yeah, he's 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 lighting a hundred dollar bill to light a cigar. (laughs) What are we working on next, fellas?
1: (laughs) Yeah, how about a parody of the Sound of Music? (laughs) That's a lot of what they do here. Um,
2: their next thing they want to do is a is a parody of Time Magazine. Um, that's, that's like their next big white whale they want to work on. So they find this publisher named Maddie Simmons, who was actually the the guy who created credit cards. He, what uh, he he created Diners Club card, which was kind of like the first credit card. Wow! And they find this guy in New York somehow. Who owns this company called Twenty First Century Communications? The only other major property he owns is Weight Watchers.
1: Ha, they had that then.
2: Yeah, they had Weight Watchers wow. back in like the late sixties, early seventies. Uh, so before before they actually do the time parody, they do a life parody, which bombs. Um, mm. Yeah, it only sells like half of the half of the seven hundred fifty thousand copies that they printed. So it does not do well. They they lost 75,000 on the entire venture overall.
1: That's in what? You'd think life would have been a hit. I, People love life. But
2: then they go back right into it and they do what they always do which works. Sex sells. They the they did Time Magazine does sex sell magazines is the headline. And it's basically a naked girl with a bunch of like magazines and her like naked with a, you know, With the mag, reading a
1: magazine. Yeah. I love how it's so brilliantly satirical. Yeah. And yet they're playing the game. They're showing this practically naked model. They're doing the thing
2: they're making fun of. Yeah,
1: exactly. They're having it both ways. Yeah.
2: This one made two hundred and fifty thousand. So they're they're like very it's like a roller coaster ride, Mm. you know, they're up and down kind of, but they're looking for someone to Finance like a, a real operation of them doing like a monthly
1: periodical or magazine or whatever. Okay, so that was finally their time.
2: Yes. So they move to New York and they get an office right down the street from the Weight Watchers office. <laughs> 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 and they start, they start building out a staff uh, working with this guy, Matty Simmons. But yeah, they're they're like very waspy like Harvard kids and like waspy Irish, whatever they were. Yeah, Uh, and he's like a full blown. He's like a Rodney Dangerfield type guy, kind of coming into the situation. It's like it it was kind of like worlds colliding a little bit. So yeah, at this time you only have like the New Yorker, which is like kind of like comedic stuff for like intellectual, like you know New York Manhattanites, kind of like older people like that. Mad Magazine was like kids up to like ten years old and they was so there was a big gap of like you know comedic humor writing that wasn't really being serviced. So that's kind of what they were going for.
1: Yeah. And they even fired shots at Mad Magazine.
2: Oh did they? Yeah. I didn't I didn't even see that.
1: They did a parody where it's Alfred E. Newman on the cover. Yeah. And it says, what, me funny? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm sure they did a bunch of stuff like that. They went after everyone basically. No one was safe here. No, um, I mean, and yet,
0: well, it clearly worked for them. Anytime they did something that was a knockoff or an attack on somebody else, it would go huge. You I mean, know. Yeah. So, I mean, wow. that they found a, a successful model early on. So they oh my they do stuff God. like this, and
2: basically, as you can see here, it's a Volkswagen in the water. I guess they floated. I didn't know about this. And the caption says, if Ted Kennedy drove a Volkswagen, he'd be president today. And it goes into like a regular like Volkswagen like ad.
1: Oh, my God. And they got sued by Volkswagen.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, the ad just shows the VW floating in the water. Yeah, that's insane. And
2: Maddie Simmons said of this, it's true. (laughs) <laughs> like if it was a Volkswagen, he would
0: be president. Yeah, mm-hmm. It says at the end, so it won't stay afloat forever. Just long enough, <laughs> poor <laughs> <My> Teddy. God, <laughs> um, if he'd been smart enough to buy a Volkswagen, he'd be president today. So
2: the New Yorker, Mad oh Magazine's not doing that.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's. It, I mean, it's way edgier than I would have thought. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
2: then scroll up to this, this other one here.
1: <sighs> oh God.
0: if you don't buy this magazine we'll
1: kill this dog kill this dog a picture of a dog with a gun to its head yeah
2: (laughs) so stuff like that is is not really stuff you'd see on other magazines that are on the newsstand while you're buying like your new york times that definitely gets
0: your attention this is darker than anything we've ever said it says death at the top the adventures of dead man play dead magazine last aid kit Suicide letters to Santa. (laughs) Yes,
2: suicide letters (laughs) to
0: January nineteen seventy three. Yeah. So this is like really hard hitting shit.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's very shocking humor. I did not realize by today's standards, and even then it was. Yeah. You definitely couldn't do this stuff today. They did stuff like that all the time. Like another one, they had a quote on the cover that said give me a magazine cover with a beautiful girl, a dog, or a baby on it, and I'll give you a magazine that sells. Yeah. And that's from William Randolph Hearst, the quote. But then the photo is of a mom presenting a dog on a serving tray with a baby overlooking it. Oh, my God. <laughs> like they're yeah. going to eat the dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it's pretty out there stuff.
2: So, yeah, so the deal was when, the, when they started the National Lampoon is they're going to split it like three ways between – Um, Maddie, uh, Henry Beard, and Robert Hoffman. Robert Hoffman came in and he's like, he was not really the intellectual side, he was more the business person of of the three. And so, the deal that they made with Maddie Simmons is that after five years, he would buy, he he would give them the option of buying them out uh, at 21 times the earnings after five years. So, I don't know exactly what the accounting is of that either. Either, yeah, but it it motivates them to create a working magazine because magazines would be in the red for like twenty years until they made money. Yeah, so it motivates them to really jumpstart this magazine, and actually start be turning a profit very quickly,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which they do after a couple of years. So just keep that in your mind as we kind of <laughs> scroll through this. Um, they they staff up with hiring some harvard lampoon writers that are now at the new yorker and other periodicals would come in and do like guest pieces from here and there but they really just went around new york and just found like kind of these crazy people that were like in uh like the 60s counterculture hanging around new york and stuff they met through like other like the art scene and stuff and like what what they like stand-up wasn't really a thing yet yeah um so they kind of had to like hit like the pavement and just kind of meet people and see who they could find The biggest, I think, person that they hired was this guy, Michael O'Donohue, who this could be a future episode. This guy was insane. Michael. Michael (laughs) O'Donohue. He was from Buffalo, but he just lived in New York, and he was like a college dropout
1: maniac who. So not a Harvard guy.
2: Not a Harvard guy. Just a guy that they met.
1: A Buffalo guy. A
2: Buffalo guy who was just living on like uh, the Upper East Side or something. Um, He became like a spiritual mentor to Doug. Um kind of like the new
0: older brother kind of situation. He's like his Dr. Sebi.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Sebi. It's
0: not gonna end well.
2: Or Mr. Gilmore or something.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah.
2: For the Lampoon, his first thing, I think, was children's letters to the Gestapo. Oh god. Which is like an you know a general like edgy thing that he's an edgelord, this guy. Yeah. Well, this guy would actually he eventually wound up on SNL and O'Donohue, he, O'Donohue, yeah. Michael O'Donohue, yeah, and he did a lot. Of, some would say too much uh, Jewish humor, <laughs> like mm. to the point that you're like, "All right, buddy, is this uh, whoa. Like, what's going on? Here? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, like everything's like Adolf Hitler. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he did this guy. Uh, I think uh, Silverman was the CEO of NBC, and like he wasn't doing well, and he did a SNL sketch called "The Last Days of Silverman's Bunker." Uh, in which he compared NBC Network President Fred Silverman's problems at the network to Adolf Hitler in his final days. John Belushi <laughs> is supposed to be playing the CEO of NBC, and they made the NBC logo logo look like the the Nazi logo. What? It's it's like it's in. They never aired it. Obviously, oh, no, no, God. they didn't air. <laughs> but they, they put together all these big sets and stuff to do this at SNL. Unreal. Yeah. And what's Lord Michael saying at this time? Exactly. How could they? Oh, Michael, that's a great idea.
1: Great idea. That's yeah. a legendary sketch that never aired because they had planned to make it really long, too. Yeah. It would come back after a commercial break. Oh, my so God. So it was very epic. But
2: it was like a 10-minute sketch or something Jeez. that involved, like, yeah.
0: <laughs> so they went as far as to, like, literally do it during the run-through? Yes. At the beginning. Oh, my God. And they
2: just didn't air it, I think. This guy was nuts. I guess he made all the writers write on the walls with magic markers. Katherine O'Hara's first day at SNL was all this was going down. She looked at everything and then she just left and never went back to SNL. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, she just quit. Um, He actually co wrote Scrooge with Bill Murray. Oh, wow. He didn't do much after SNL and after like that movie. He didn't really do much else, this guy, Michael O'Donohue. I think he just he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way.
0: He just kept telling Jew jokes.
2: I think that was his big <laughs> thing. Like yeah, That was the button he kept going back yeah. to. If nothing else works, go to the Jew jokes yeah. or something.
1: Yeah, legendary writer at SNL, and I guess he left the lampoon in a huff. Yeah, over a girl.
2: Yes, I'll I'll, I'll get into that too. Wow. Sorry. Um, they start charging seventy five cents per magazine. Um, the April sex issue sells two hundred twenty five thousand copies, so they gotta get they gotta bump those numbers up.
1: Yeah, and seventy five cents, so it was significantly cheaper than the Harvard Lampoon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, true. Fifty cents.
2: I think they're when they're starting out. I think they they plan on
1: losing money. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they just wanted people to buy it.
2: Yeah. December 31st, 1969, Doug asked his girlfriend, Alexandra Appleton Garcia Mata, to marry him. She was a teacher who taught in Washington, D.C., and she'd come back at forth to New York to mi- visit Doug. Um, she, she was surprised Doug asked her to marry him, but she said yes.
0: I mean, if you look at this picture, he's batting way above his... Way class. Way yeah. above. <laughs> <laughs> She's gorgeous. He would do that throughout his life. Oh, yeah. And he'd
2: always be whining like, oh, no one likes me, you know, this or that.
0: That's crazy, because he must have been a very charismatic guy. There's no way that you get a girl like that without, yeah. you know, having and, some sort of swag.
1: And to start the Harvard or the National Lampoon. Yeah. yeah. That takes a lot of charisma and determination. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a lot going for him, but he's... I don't know. He's a drug addict also. Mm. Ah.
2: So you can kind of, you know, in your mind, kind of like fuck with things and thinking like you're not doing well. And I think a lot of these guys, when they, when, when you're in New York and you're, you're amongst a lot of rich people, people that are also doing well, you for some reason believe that you're not doing very great comparably.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're always looking, you know, in someone else's house yeah. instead yeah. of your own and realizing, holy shit, I'm way... Further along than I would have ever imagined.
2: I mean, if he's back in Chagrin
1: Falls, like he would have been
2: fucked. Yeah, mm-hmm. he would have been Just a tennis brother living in Tim
1: Conway's shadow. Yeah, that's right. it. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. And think about this: before 1975, there was no SNL, so no. they were the hippest cat in town. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. This is like the big show. Yeah, people don't realize. Like, hey, why wouldn't he do SNL if he's a good comedy writer? Why wouldn't he do this? Because the thing didn't existed that. They were really into yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know,
2: this is the they, they had to create the thing that they really wanted to do.
0: Yeah, what he created ended up creating the pathway for everyone to get on SNL. Yeah, and yes. be the writers. There's be, no Simpsons. become the head writers. Yeah, yeah. It's like all these people end up becoming the showrunners and head writers of these rooms. There's no. There's
2: <laughs> nothing that people are like aspiring to that is outside of of what this is. This is it. It's like when they're starting Facebook. You know, there's no other thing outside of this that anyone wants to be a part of. Right. So Doug is now married, working crazy hours um, at the magazine. You know, his wife Alex, as he calls her, would would call him, "Hey, uh, are you coming home at any point?" And like he'd be like, four, uh, you know, "I'll be back in twenty minutes," and it'll be like four more hours, and then he just never comes back. Oh, that's brutal. And he's in like you know, when you're living in New York, the the bar culture there is like out of control. Yeah, especially if you're working there and it's the 70s and you're already a drug addict like you like you're never coming
1: home. No. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Where people can't keep up with you. John Belushi yeah. was the same way. Tim Kazarinsky, a good friend of him, who was also a SNL cast member later on, said that yeah. John would you'd hang out with John for the night and then he'd say you'd say good night. It's like 10 p.m. Then John Belushi would go out and have a whole nother night <laughs> yes. with other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: And I think that's what's going on here. And like, Alex's new wife is like. She doesn't even know who he is, really. She says he's like an onion. Like, once you peel some off, there's more to peel. And you just keep doing that. You never really find the core of who he is.
1: Just look at their magazine. Look what they printed and put out for the public. Think of what they said behind closed doors. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Some of the things that they even
2: printed, I'm like, that is
1: crazy. It's shocking.
2: At some point with the anti-Semitic stuff, Maddie Simmons had to go and say... No more Jewish stuff. Yeah, <laughs> there was one specifically. It said like, um, Jewish people are are white, and then it said, well, kind of, or something mm. like. It was just like, <laughs> like these guys were just. I think they were just drugged up out of mm-hmm. their minds, and they thought if it's edgy, it's funny.
1: Yeah, and they did that whole photo shoot with the Hitler look-alike.
2: Yes, they did. They, they,
1: they found this great Hitler look-alike, and then did this whole photo shoot on an island. That the premise was if Hitler survived. Oh my god! They, you know that he's hiding out somewhere, and this is what he's up to. This Argentina. was all based
2: on them. They they just met some guy in a bar in New York that looked like Hitler. What? Yeah. So they, they're like, <laughs> we want to hire you to do this photo shoot, and they did it with this guy that looked like Hitler. Wow! And they did it like an like entire spread about if Hitler were still alive. This is what would be him
1: hanging out on this island. Jesus. So he's bathing on the sand, getting a yeah. <laughs> drinking a mojito. Oh yeah. my god.
2: But that's like the basis of, you know, what they thought was funny. Sometimes it would hit and it would mm. be like, "Oh, that's funny because it's funny and it's also edgy." Like the dog thing, you know, if you don't if you don't buy this issue, we're
1: we'll going to shoot this dog. dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and even one of the writers, I believe Am Beats, said that that was something every advertiser wanted to do anyway, but couldn't get away with. Basically saying, "Buy this magazine, or yeah. well, yeah, kill yeah. this dog." <laughs> yeah.
2: That's basically Yeah, that's the subtext of every magazine, basically. Yeah, that's what everyone wants to say they wish they could. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, over time they 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 really started like. Crafting exactly how this magazine was going to look. They got better artists. Um, They they got like a a person who was actually the head of the art department that started like making sure the entire thing looked professional rather than kind of some ragtag, like, you know, fanzine type thing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, it's Uh, incredible. The graphics of this magazine. Yeah. Really just the parodies look like the actual magazines down to every detail. Yeah. yeah,
2: they started getting more in line with the New Yorker and Mad mm-hmm. Magazine as far as the professionalness of of the articles and in the the pictures. Um, they eventually they got up to like twelve million readers at some point. Wow! Like Whoa. they started like really kicking ass. So, oh my god! So they're doing pretty well as far as getting you know the readership where it needs to be in order to make this five year deal work out for them financially. Around nineteen seventy one, a year into Doug's marriage, he has an affair with this office secretary named Mary Martello, who everyone calls Mary Marshmallow. Nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he told his buddy Michael O'Donoghue about it, who he considered his like older brother and confidant. Who went nuts? Michael O'Donoghue got so pissed off because. Maybe he was quietly in love with her, or he was just like, uh, or he had something going on with her, but he like disappeared for like a
0: week. Wow. And no one
2: knows what happened to him. And he would do this a lot. Alejandro brought it up before, but he would get, he got in a lot, a lot of like romantic trysts with like people, and like someone would like bang his girlfriend. Like <laughs> this, this British guy who was, uh, who worked with them, this guy named Tony Hendra, he was a, British staff member who was on working for the National Lampoon. He was actually he played the manager in Spinal Tap. Do you remember Spinal oh, Tap? Yeah. <laughs> he played the manager. He was actually the only British guy, I think, on the staff there. Um
1: it's a great character, too. Yeah.
2: He co-created the lemons with Michael O'Donohue. And then all of a sudden it came out that he banged Michael O'Donoghue's girlfriend. And Michael oh. O'Donoghue went nuts. And he went to Maddie Simmons' office, the the CEO at this time, and he said, You better fire this, this limey bastard wow. off off this magazine and, and Maddie Simmons was like, Fuck you dude. <laughs> no. He fucked me Mary Marshmallow. Well, it's the other way around Michael O'Donoghue was not the British guy Oh, (laughs) (laughs) This guy, Michael O'Donoghue was a disaster He was kind of like a head case who always had some weird thing going on with a woman there So either way, this guy, I think you kind of bake that into uh, his brilliance Yeah, his insanity Eventually they start getting into radio So not just a magazine, they start doing radio also They kick off Lampoon Radio and they start bringing in people um, like Chevy Chase, John Belushi, Bill Murray, Brian Dolan Murray, his brother, Hal Ramis, uh, this guy Michael Flaherty, and they start doing like... Gilda. Gilda Radner, obviously. Uh, And they start doing like these kind of funny parody radio
0: hours. And this is in New York City.
2: This is in New York, yeah. 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 So they bring a lot of these Second City people out from Chicago to kind of do this, and uh, Second City in Toronto, too. Yeah. And they start doing these... You know, kind of off the wall versions of what the magazine was basically,
1: and that's the first spinoff, correct? Yes, the radio show. Yeah,
2: they do a couple things. So they do their big project um, is the the Radio Hour. Uh, I'm sorry, Radio Dinner, um, which has stuff like uh, John Lennon songs um, called the Magical Misery Tour, like stuff <laughs> nice. like that. Ooh yeah, I want to kill myself like stuff like that.
1: <laughs> Yeah, because he would do these interviews to Rolling Stone complaining about the Beatles and life.
2: they did Ed Sullivan having nails driven into his eyes. Oh, that know. was
1: hilarious.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know
1: that that's a big
2: neural <laughs> Yeah, they're
1: like, here's what it would sound like. Yeah, with, uh, with um, if Ed Sullivan had nails through his head or something, yeah. <laughs> and it's just some guy going like, ah! yeah. <laughs> and that was
2: actually Michael O'Donoghue's real scream.
1: Wow, it yeah. sounds very real. <laughs> yeah, that's what's so funny about it. Yeah, it's authentic.
2: And then they do John Belushi stars in the Lemmings, which is they did off Broadway and is in an album too, which is it's it's based around the Woodshuck Festival, which is obviously a parody on Woodstock, uh, three days of peace, love and death, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> which is yeah, it's a lot of it is just kind of making fun of Woodstock.
1: Um, yeah, it's, it was supposed to be a mass suicide, hence the name Lemmings. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, I never, even, I never even put that
1: together. Yeah, and. Actually Doug Kenny wasn't involved in any of this. So he wasn't really excited about it and he felt left out.
2: All, well, also like around this time, Doug Kenny just leaves the lampoon and he I think he feels like he's not doing what his what he should be doing with his life. He goes to Martha's Vineyard, drops acid, and starts writing this horrible novel.
0: Interesting. <laughs> he just
2: he all of a sudden he just writes a note that says, I'm done with this. See you guys later. Wow. and everyone is pissed. And maybe it could have something to do with the fact that he wasn't asked to do the Lemmings or any of the radio hour stuff.
1: Yeah, because that wasn't supposed to be so huge. It was supposed to be like a a radio hour, like an episode, one-off, yeah. 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 But then it became, like you said, off-Broadway, and it launched all this talent, and they were clearly forces to be reckoned with, and I think that... Doug Kenny felt threatened by that success. That's interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Even mm-hmm. though it's a thing that he created, and he benefits as a result of all that. Right. Like Absolutely. He's
1: peripherally involved in that, even if he didn't have anything to do with creating yeah. Lemmings.
2: And he's just mad he's not the, the focal, the center of it all. Exactly. Tony Hendricks is good because he's good musically. Like He's a British guy who's really good at like making parody songs. and Him and Michael Donahue put all this kind of stuff together, and they, they get nominated for an Emmy like right, wow. off the, right off the mm-hmm. bat with the first album they release. No way. So they're like, all right, well, let's put more money into this. Matty Sim- Simmons seems to, some money. So that's why he pulls in talent like uh, John Belushi and stuff. But NBC approached him to do a satire TV show at this time um, and with all the talent that he had there. And he says, you know, that seems like too much work. So they basically, NBC pitched him SNL. Mm-hmm. And Maddie Simmons and the Lampoon passed. Wow! And Lauren Michaels like, oh, this sounds like a good idea. So he steals all their talent. Someone tells Maddie Simmons like, you should lock down this guy at least Belushi or or Chevy Chase or a couple of other of these guys. And he's like, he's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to put anyone under contract here. We don't have money for that. And then uh, Lauren Michaels just steals all of them up and starts SNL
1: wow yeah because the list you read off that's basically the first Gilda
2: radner you know chevy chase all these people and then
1: i think oh my bill murray God. comes
2: in the year snl starts 1975 7, is the first year mm-hmm. and then uh chevy chase is basically the bill murray character and then they brought in bill murray in the next season 1976 so they just cleaned the clock of the harvard lampoon and
0: lauren never stopped doing it Never that. stopped. Never to this day. Stealing people. Yeah, yeah it's still <laughs> yeah. going, being like, oh, that's the pool you He's take the from. Bill Belichick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If
1: it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Um, and even the bits. John Belushi doing his Joe Cocker impression yeah. in the Lemming show. That was a famous impression he did on SNL.
2: But the thing is, they didn't copyright it or anything at uh, National Lampoon. So Lorne is good. When you go in the door there, you sign away your life. Yeah. I think that's what he learned from Maddie Simmons mm-hmm. uh, of the National Lampoon. You you sign away your life once you go to SNL, but Maddie Simmons had you know day contracts on these people for this radio show, and he screwed up.
1: Yeah. Wow. And there is an allure to Hollywood TV movies. So when SNL came around, it exploded an immediate success, and that instantly took away some of the cachet from the National Lampoon. Yeah. Yeah, it became hipper.
2: Well, the National Lampoon now Chevy Chase went into the office after SNL started, and he's like, "No one wants to bang a a National Lampoon writer anymore. It's not cool." Yeah. <laughs> what? You know, in his like kind of shitty, I'm a jerk way. Yeah. How, how funny is this? How horrible I'm being to you? You know, he said that to all the staff at the National Lampoon as because wow. he was still friends with Doug Kenny. He would kind of like go in there and like fuck with people still, right? And, yeah, that, that was kind of the state of affairs at that time. Like, you know, SNL hit right off the bat.
0: Yeah. You
1: know,
2: it, it was the new cool thing in town. Everyone loved it. Everyone wanted to go there. Carlin and, like, you know, all the big comics of that time. First was
1: host, George
0: yeah, Carlin. Yeah, George Carlin was yeah. the
2: first host, yeah.
0: and then, But Chevy Chase ends up being the lead role in all the National Lampoon movies.
2: Yeah. So they, they have some kind of, like, weird, um, you know, Relationship in which they're all still friends and they're all, it's all, everyone still works together. It's a
1: parallel universe, I think.
2: It is, yeah. SCTV, National Lampoon, and SNL are all similar characters that kind of, you know, it's a shared universe kind of.
1: And that's a precursor because SNL exploded and was the coolest thing around, but there is an upcoming movie that will change things. Yeah. For Mr. Kenny.
2: So. Doug Kenny. Um, so after the five-year thing comes up, the you know Maddie,
1: the contract, the thing. contract
2: you know in which they could buy out all the main founders. So at this time, that contract is worth each one of them, those founders: uh, uh, Henry Beard, and uh, Doug Kenny, and uh, Robert Hoffman, is worth two point eight million dollars a piece, Ooh. which. In nineteen what seventy-one, seventy-three, I think.
0: It's like ten trillion dollars. Yeah. Two it's like it's a lot of money, basically.
2: <laughs> so that guy Maddie Simmons is like, are they gonna take it? And they take it right off the bat. Wow. <laughs> and that not only that, that guy Maddie, uh that guy Henry Beard, who when Doug took off and Doug was acting like a maniac in Martha's Vineyard, he was a guy. Running the show, mm-hmm. he got on his desk. Everyone's getting on their desk. He stood on his desk, no and Captain, he, my captain, and he goes, "Fuck all you people! I don't want to be here anymore. I hate all of you. I've hated every day being here, and I'm uh, I'm out of here." After his check cleared, he said all this. And Who so, said this? Uh, Henry Beard. Henry, oh, okay, yeah. one of the co-founders. Because yeah, he, yeah, he did a lot. Him and Doug did a lot of the writing together.
1: Yeah, and actually, Doug Kenny did an insane amount of writing, in so much so that when he did. Disappear for that time. Yeah. His. He was missed. Yeah. Because. Did did you read that he would write like all the fake letters to the editor? Yeah, He would fill this magazine out. He
2: did like 80% of the writing exactly. himself. Like just doing a bunch of blow and just writing everything. <laughs> and I think that's why he had a nervous breakdown. And at like 24 years old, Doug Kenny had a nervous breakdown and just escaped the whole mm-hmm. situation. Came back with his bad novel because he thought it was a novelist. He gave it to Henry Beard, his friend, to, to read. And Henry Beard said, this is the worst piece of dribble I've ever read in my
1: life. Wow. Yeah, he said, he reading it, it was nothing. Yeah, it was nothing. <laughs> yeah. Absolute nothingness. And
2: that's what you would get from Henry Beard. Like I think Doug was kind of like the enigmatic like dreamer. And Henry Beard was like the guy who was like, that's that's ter- the worst idea I've ever
1: heard in my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wouldn't he say they'd come in with an idea and he'd go, tempting, tempting.
2: Yeah, and he'd just walk out in the middle of pitches. If it was bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> so he read this book of Doug Kenny's, And Doug Kenny, after he, his friend, his best friend, told him how bad it was, he threw it out the window in Manhattan. It was like thousands of pages, which oh went all over the streets. The God.
1: manuscript. Yeah. Because in those days, it was a typewriter. Actual so typewriter, yeah. Y- you would have one copy at first. Oof. Yeah. Yikes. Um, <laughs>
2: so yeah, so National Lampoon, after after michael o'donohue quits because michael o'donohue quits because of this girl because not because of that situation in which his friend banged uh that british guy but because the, he they took away his new girlfriend's desk he decided to quit and he left and i think he already had a side deal with
1: snl so he knew he was gonna be okay anyway sure he demanded she get a desk yeah a desk. <laughs> they said no this guy is insane he really is. Yeah, but that was a smart move to go to SNL.
2: Yeah, of course. He, I think he knew he wanted to go there anyway. And he probably just waited until his contract. He waited for a reason to leave.
1: Yeah, that's catching
0: lightning in a bottle twice. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. crazy. Being a part of the National Lampoon and then SNL. Like, hey
2: man, some people just luck out into great situations. Oh my
0: god, I can't even imagine. Yeah, two things at the start of their like it, the genesis of these two monster. Uh, you know, empires. There's yeah. nowhere
1: you'd rather be in the comedy world than yeah. those two places. Jesus.
0: So after
2: Henry leaves uh, National Lampoon because he got his 2.8 million dollars,
1: he doesn't want anything to do with it anymore. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. him and Kenny <laughs> are now very well off.
2: Yes, and Doug Kenny's like, okay, I'm leaving too. And Maddie Simmons is like, no, don't leave. Um, we're gonna do a movie. Yeah. And they're like, he's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm listening
0: so with the 2.8 they had the option to stay and keep working
2: yes they had the option to, to keep their ownership and keep building it up rather than getting bought oh. out yeah but they're like you know what we've had enough of this because i think that it's so painstaking to do that job that five years is a long time and that is the most important time of a magazine five years in
1: right mm. yeah
2: so doug kenny is like, okay, uh, we'll do a movie then. And so they're trying to think of ideas, and they come up with Animal House, and that's the movie that they're going to do. They bring in all their old friends, you know, Hal Ramis. Um, you know, they bring in John Belushi. They br- uh, Kevin Bacon, I guess. <laughs> you know, all the big names at this time. Yeah. So they do this movie, and it's a, it's a smash hit.
1: Yeah, it was originally going to be set in high school. Yeah. And then I think it was Maddie Simmons who said... All the depraved stuff you want to do in this movie, that would never work in a high school setting. Yeah, with children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so they changed it to college.
2: Yeah, which makes it much better, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then,
1: of course, they found an up-and-coming maniac who directed Kentucky Fried Movie. Guess oh, who, right. Guess who, Kyle? Uh, fuck, we covered this so early in the podcast. You really don't remember? John Landis.
0: Yes! yes. Yeah.
2: There you go. Um, It was based on the college days of chris miller who's one of the contributors at the national lampoon he went to dartmouth i think
1: which was worlds apart from harvard
2: i didn't know that i thought dartmouth you know is also ivy league and i I didn't know these guys had balls up there
1: yeah so they say that (laughs) doug kenny was fascinated by his college experience because his experience at harvard didn't have any of that no right um so yeah so
2: the movie is a smash it kind of creates A brand new genre of movie,
1: which Mm -hmm. is like uh, edgy comedy, I guess. It's like the magazine, because that movie had everything. Yeah. It had boobs. It had laughs. Yeah. uh, Shoplifting. More boobs.
2: More boobs. More laughs. laughs. Dead horse. A
1: horse with murders. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Belushi, of course.
2: Yeah, Belushi. It kind of catapults him into being a big movie star.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It made a ton of money. And to this day... That is one of the most iconic images ever in pop culture. The one of Belushi wearing the college sweatshirt. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone would have that poster in college, which is... (laughs) It was mandatory, It was mandatory. In the dorm room. Came with the dorm. So Doug goes out to Hollywood, and now he's a Hollywood producer. He's no longer a New York guy. He's just living out there. Um, I forgot to mention that he got divorced. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, yeah, he was messing around on uh, yeah. Alex. So, around
2: 1973, him and his wife divorced. And I Marshmallow? Guess, yeah. So now Doug in Hollywood, he's jonesing to be a movie producer and mogul out there. He's got all the drugs. He's partying like a maniac, even worse than like in Manhattan, which is kind of scary.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: His old buddy John Belushi is out there now. Uh, so they would hang out from time to time. So I'm sure Doug was part of that second portion of the night that guy was talking about. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the one with
1: Robin Williams? Yes. Uh,
2: yeah. Doug writes Caddyshack with uh, Brian Doyle-, Doyle Murray and Harold Ramis. Like I was saying earlier in the podcast, kind of about his life
1: growing up in Ohio there. Mm. So the the character you're talking about, he's kind of the naive caddy. Yep. And he looks up to Chevy Chase
2: who, I guess, I don't know who, who that would be. I, maybe, like, a Michael Donahue or, or Henry Beard kind of yeah. like, kind of like person. Like, from a, a privileged background, just doesn't care about anything or anyone in the world and just kind of, like, moves about life, you know, happily and doesn't really get worried about anything.
1: Or perhaps based on Chevy Chase himself. It could be
2: also just Chevy Chase. But, yeah, who knows? I, he's a mixed-up guy. I don't know what's going on <laughs> with Chevy Chase. You know, because... It seems like he's he's tough to work with.
1: Oh, you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, <he's laughs> so like, I've heard. <laughs> yeah, a, a tad difficult. You think uh, yelling the n word on yeah. set
2: and calling Dan Harmon uh, voice, leaving them voicemails in the middle of the night—that are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you think
1: that's out of line? Yeah.
2: Uh, so Caddyshack, I remember seeing like the the background doc about this movie, which almost as fun as the movie. I love this movie. This movie, I think, is hilarious. Oh, it's great,
1: Caddyshack. It's a classic.
2: It, ha- it has everything.
0: Gunga, gulunga.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I says, yo, llama, how about a little something, you know, for the yeah. effort? And he says, there will be no money. But when you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> so I got that going for me, which is nice.
1: <laughs> Boy, Mark had that locked and loaded. No, so so I good. just remember this movie so no, well. That's yeah. a, that was a great... Impression. The the lines are just so funny. Yeah, got that going for me.
2: (laughs) And and then uh Rodney Dangerfield, oh, look at that, look at that hat. I bet you get that hat, you get a free cup of soup.
0: Oh, it's like the dance of the dead. (laughs) Launched Rodney too.
1: Yeah. It it did, yeah, kind of in movies. In movies, absolutely. And I love that scene where Chevy Chase is doing Coke and playing the piano.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Is that the scene that you can see Doug doing? coke in the background yeah
2: the dinner scene where right before uh, Dangerfield says to the girl I I bet you were great before electricity and then then in the background you see Doug Kenny uh, snorting coke like uh, like on a level above like on another table yeah with some woman there but yeah it's I think what was going on on the screen there was really going on hardcore in the back and like after the the cameras were off.
0: I wonder if they specifically wrote that actual, you know, character for Rodney Dandy because he's so perfect. That's Mm -hmm. such an iconic role for him.
1: It's like, that is him. That's a good point. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely (laughs) adapted to the role they, i'm sure that there was some improvisation and changes. yeah true yeah because in in part two
2: kind of two actually they developed more of what cause, um jackie mason was actually that role and he was like oh, a God. he was like a new money real estate construction guy and maybe that's like someone like that um that he knew like uh, that doug knew as a kid right but but adding uh Dangerfield just added a whole new twist to it. You probably had to rewrite the script, basically, so yeah. knowing that <laughs> yeah. Rodney was going to be in it.
1: It's a brilliant mix if you think about it, the Bill Murray goofy character yeah. with Chevy Chase, his sarcasm, yeah. and then Rodney Dangerfield, just total comic self-deprecation yeah. one-liners. Yeah, and, yeah.
2: at some point, uh, Rodney Dangerfield just goes into his crazy golf bag and just... Turns up music. Hey, let's dance. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Journey, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't <laughs> stop believing. Oh no, it's any way you want. Yeah, I know it, that that's song. The yeah. I
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Lindsey Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac had the great uh, like theme song for "I'm All Right." Oh, don't that's...
1: nobody worry about me.
2: Right, yeah. that's Lindsey Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac. Wow. Okay. And he
1: went on to do "Holiday Run. Yes, he did
2: a lot of the National Lampoon songs.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. So the movie does okay at the box office. The reviewers and the critics destroy it. Wow! Like ruin it. For as much as Animal House was praised, yeah, this was slaughtered.
2: This is when the reviewers started, like you know, getting the hair
0: up their ass for
1: mm-hmm. for
2: good comedies, like like kind of stuff they would do to Happy Gilmore
0: later on. Yeah, you know? and like Tommy Boy, they trashed. If
2: it's funny and it's from people that. You know, bullied me in high school. I hate it. I think mm-hmm. that maybe that's the vibe. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: But it's so funny that in, in Newsweek, like, I think specifically went out of their way to, to give it, like, one star, like, two stars or something.
0: Comedy just doesn't get any respect. It doesn't
1: get no respect. <laughs> I no <get> re- <laughs>
0: respect. I'll tell you. Oh. Which
1: yeah. is absurd to think about now because Caddyshack is such a classic.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, back at the Lampoon, Matty Simmons hires this guy P.J. O'Rourke to be the new head editor, um, and he hires people like John Hughes, um, who would go on to do the vacation movies for National Lampoon. So, you know they, they're the world does not end with Doug Kenny. Basically, Doug no. Kenny is not really um, focused on the magazine anymore, but it still goes on after him. Now, uh, so back in L.A., Doug becomes a full blown coke addict.
1: Man. and the mm. coke the drugs were not working anymore <laughs> some go- say he relied on the drugs like he couldn't function without them
2: no yeah i think he's just a daily user of drugs and he wasn't he didn't know who he was without them anymore and i think the 70s hollywood he was in the worst possible scenarios that he could be in yep poor he's in his 30s now too the drugs in your 20s Are so much more fun than drugs in your 30s.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we touched upon that in the Amy Winehouse episode. Exactly. Yeah. And I have to add that it's also the most dangerous scenario of them all a drug addict with money.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Doug would like bring his Coke dealers to like meetings and stuff. So he's like the most depressed person you've ever met. And like, he doesn't know why, but he, I don't think he understands. People don't like he would be like a sober guy now. Like people, you know, you meet people in L.A. like, yeah, I'm kind of sober because you know what drugs do to you, to your nervous system and stuff. And you know that you got to stop at some point. But he no one knows that at this time. I I think Mm. that's my best explanation of what's going on. They
1: thought Coke was healthy to some degree at that time.
2: They knew Freud did. And they're like, (laughs) hey, if Freud did it. You know, he seemed like a happy guy.
1: So you think he'd be sober if he had lived? That's what I think. Or California sober, where yeah. you don't drink, but you do edibles. Yeah. Smoke
2: a little weed, man. Yeah. You do yoga and edibles, and you
1: just sweat it out or something. Y- yet they're sober. Yeah.
2: The California sober. So he's depressed. Chevy, Chevy Chase is out there, too. He's depressed, because he's he also hates how bad the reviews are for Caddyshack. Both of them are... I think they think Caddyshack is going to ruin them, and they don't know that it's a great movie because it hasn't really hit its stride yet. Yeah, you know, people aren't really talking about it as a monumental comedy because, in the moment of this time in like seventy six or seventy seven, whatever time it is, you don't really realize, you know, because you have like Taxi Driver coming out, you have like a The Godfather coming out. You are like comparably. I'm a horrible movie maker because of all this stuff coming out.
1: It was an unfair comparison because it still was profitable but it wasn't the huge success that Animal House
2: was. That's a good point because I think everything with Doug is a comparison to stuff he sees around him. Mm-hmm. Because he went to Harvard, he's like he's like I'm not like these guys because they grew up like this, you know. That's why I'm not going to be happy unless I am like this. And that's why that was his big drive. And he just looked at everything around him. He's like yeah, I'm okay now, but this person over here, he's doing so much better. What about that? Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what Hollywood is.
0: And the idea of cult classics didn't even exist yet, really. No. Because you didn't have that concept of like, oh, it's going direct to VHS and then it'll crush. Yeah. You're in this... Time where SNL didn't exist, the National Lampoon didn't exist, and then all these things are just being we had created. No perspective yeah, or yeah.
2: Context of what you know, what where do you stand in the zeitgeist of the world? I Zero said the world content. zeitgeist, so don't make fun of me. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I'm smart. I d- I drove through Harvard one time. Yeah,
1: and also he's used to excelling. He's used to everything he does is like you know what I mean. Like he tops himself. Yeah, and yeah. keeps. Going up the ladder, so Caddyshack felt like he was going down the ladder. Exactly. Right. Even though it's crazy because it's like a classic movie. Yeah.
2: So him and Chevy Chase, both with terrible drug dependencies, decide, let's both take a trip to Kauai, Hawaii, to get clean and feel better. What better place?
1: Yeah. It's better than Miami. Uh, Absolutely.
0: Anything's better than Miami. Well, (laughs)
2: especially for the drugs and stuff.
0: Kauai is where they filmed Jurassic Park. So that's what it looks like is just the sprawling green. Beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's a giant T Rex. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And Doug is doing some hiking and stuff around there,
1: which will come up in uh, just a moment. That sounds like a very healthy activity. It does, doesn't it? Body and soul. Yeah, why not? So these two
2: guys, like Chevy Chase is crazy. I don't know if the story he tells is true or he thinks it's funny or what it is. But Chevy said he jokingly would yell that he was jumping out his hotel window, and Doug would storm in uh, while Chevy hid in the room. And he'd be like, I'm going now. I'm jumping, Doug. I'm going. Uh, you know, and do that. And then he'd what have the Doug run in there and think he yeah. was, like, as a joke.
1: He would add sound effects, like, ruffling the chairs. Yeah. it sound like he jumped. But I'm not. No,
0: that is like a, a narcissist checking in on how much someone cares about them. Mm. You think so? I think so
2: hmm interesting if he
0: did it multiple times and doug did it every time he's like oh you're my lap dog i got you yeah
2: yeah may- maybe you're right maybe he did treat him like that I, d- I don't know but either way uh chevy gets a job probably doing Fletcher or something it's like all right well see you later doug i'm out of here and he wow. just leaves uh kawaii
1: hawaii and just takes off well actually at this time because this is when 1980
2: uh yeah 1980 yep. so this is
1: before vacation. This is before Fletch. So I think Chevy was depressed because he left SNL after one year because he had such a big ego. He's like, I'm gonna go make it in the movies. And he did some profitable movies like Foul Play with Goldie Hawn, but he did not have an animal house yet. So his biggest, most high profile project was Caddyshack. So I think at that time he was down in the dumps just like Doug Kenny. There was no proof yet that he was gonna have a solid Hollywood career.
2: That's a good point. Yeah. Maybe he just, you know, also
1: couldn't see past, you know, where he was. And because he probably regretted Leaving SNL, he was seeing yeah. John Belushi, Bill Murray. Even though they co-starred in Caddyshack, Bill Murray was you know killing it on SNL. Yeah. yeah, maybe he
2: think he screwed up big time. Yeah, I think so because what he only got one movie in order to he wanted to get into the movies in mm-hmm. order to leave SNL. But like, but he didn't have like it wasn't that locked in. He just assumed no. he was going to get all this stuff, and he probably pissed. A couple exe- executives off, too. Yes. He probably you know burned some bridges, and he knew he did that.
1: It was a slow start for sure, yeah. because he also did this movie starring Munchkins from The Wizard of Oz. Okay. And it was a complete disaster.
2: Really? Probably
1: around 1979. <laughs> Kyle, can you look that up quick? Just the name of it. What is it? Just do Chevy Chase Munchkin movie. Under the Rainbow. There you go. 1981 American comedy film
0: directed by Steve Rash. Starring Chevy Chase, Carrie Fisher, Eve Arden, and Billy Barty.
1: So I guess this was to come. So who's who. <laughs> maybe wow. that's when he left Kauai to film. Maybe. This disastrous yeah, munchkin movie. And maybe he read it, and, Like
2: maybe that's what made him depressed.
0: Here's the logline. Nazis, federal agents, aristocrats, and 150 little people descend on Hollywood for the filming of The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, the funny thing was that the the genre of movies that Chevy Chase would do later on is the genre that Doug Kenny set up with Animal House basically.
1: Absolutely. So it took
2: a little bit to catch up to get those scripts out there yep. for the studios to buy them in order for for to kind of create this path for Chevy Chase. Because yeah.
1: Vacation came around finally, I think, in nineteen eighty three. Yeah. And that was also reuniting him with Harold Ramis, who directed Caddyshack. Yeah. So vacation was very much a second chance.
2: And John Hughes, who was the writer of right. that. Right. Yeah.
1: So the National Lampoon. Yeah, because he wrote in the National Lampoon, Vacation 58. Yeah, the article which it was based on. He's
2: probably lucky because he's probably going into that you know National Lampoon office and telling John Hughes to his face, "You're a loser. No one wants to fuck you because you're not on SNL." And meanwhile, John Hughes is writing this movie that'll catapult his fucking career. Mm-hmm. Wow, uh, Chevy Chase is such a dick, man. <laughs> 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 but
1: Vacation, great movie. Great
2: movie. I, I like most of that. The the Vegas one, eh, okay. Well, Christmas so is great.
1: Christmas, yeah, I would say Christmas and the that, first one.
2: Yeah, that's a go-to Christmas movie. That's yeah. Scrooge and Bad Santa Now is now my favorite <laughs>
1: Christmas movie. Yeah, I can agree with that list. Okay.
2: <laughs> so, uh, Catherine Walker comes and she hangs out with Doug in the absence of um, Chevy Chase, who had just left to do this whatever shitty movie. So, so... Catherine Walker eventually has to leave herself because she has to go to work also, and she leaves Kauai. She leaves Doug by himself, who's just kind of left on this island. Age 33, going on hikes, doesn't know what to do with himself, is in this kind of depressive spiral. One day, August twenty seventh, 1980, uh, Doug goes to this cliff, which is called the Hanapepe Valley Lookout.
1: Hmm.
2: He drives his car up to it, and he was believed to have jumped off a thirty five foot cliff to his Oof. death. Um, it is later called an accidental death. Hmm. There's been a lot of chatter and a lot of discussions about
1: what may have happened here. Did Chevy Chase fly back and find him?
2: No. No, uh, the police found him. They found his car there, and they found his body. Which okay. They they identified him by his glasses, actually, because they just found this kind of like sunburned and broken body at the bottom of this kind of mm.
0: this kind of ravine here. Oof! So he just landed on the ground or some rocks or something. Yeah, a bunch Oof. of rocks.
2: Yeah. God, it wasn't even that big of a fall. Some people said he might have fell, and that's what the official police thing is—that it was accidental. and He just fell. So someone said like about him there was a there was distinct emptiness there Mm. there was a vacancy that you know he just didn't want to be alive anymore and they kind of felt that Mm -hmm. some people thought he was just kind of being over the top and dramatic and like you know you know you know that my life's over and but maybe doug really felt that on some level and he just didn't articulate that with some other people
1: but speaking of john landis he said that they were in talks for a future project yeah, and they were going to meet in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So he thinks that he didn't commit suicide because that doesn't match the demeanor of someone that is depressed and wants to die.
2: That their Def- future plan Well, th- that's, exactly. the, that's the, con- that's the concept of suicidal and depressed is that there is no future.
1: Yeah. yeah, so the fact that he was excitedly planning this project yeah. with John Landis.
2: Yeah, they also found in Doug Kennedy's hotel room there a bunch of notes for, their, I think, that project he had been planning, jokes and an outline for an entire movie.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, there was a gag line found that he had left that said, these last few days are among the happiest I've ever ignored. <laughs> Which, okay, you know, it's just his way of saying he's, things aren't that bad. Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe he just drove up to that ravine or whatever, and maybe he was pushed.
1: That's the other theory, right? That it was a drug deal gone wrong. Yeah. And that the drug dealers beat him up and threw him off the cliff. Maybe. Because he refused to pay them or something.
2: Yeah, maybe he had been there for a while, and he like really pissed off the wrong people, and they finally found him. I don't know. Hmm. But he had the money, but like... Yeah. There's no ATMs out there. I don't know how he would have got it to these drug dealers, but I'm sure he had a ton of cash on him. I don't know.
1: And Chevy thinks that he tripped.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. Chevy Chevy does not think that he killed himself, but Chevy doesn't know either.
0: I think
1: John Landis was landing in a helicopter to meet him and kind of bumped him off with the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> the project that they were planning was probably the Twilight Zone segment. Yeah. Maybe. So he dodged... He died the helicopter with that one.
2: (laughs) A lot of people have their own theories. This guy, his buddy Chris Miller, who co-wrote Animal House with him, said he fell while looking for a good place to jump.
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) That's dark. Sounds like one of our jokes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 33 years old, you know. Same age as John Belushi and Chris Farley. And they
0: died two years apart, John Belushi and
1: uh, Doug Kenny. And Jesus died at 33. And that's true. Wow. Yeah, John Belushi, nineteen eighty-two, March nineteen eighty-two. Yep, and this is March nineteen eighty, August. Yeah. Oh, this is August. Yeah, yeah. August. Okay, well, August
2: twenty-seventh, nineteen
1: eighty. All right, well, two years apart. Yeah.
2: After his death at the funeral, his Harvard friend uh, Peter Ivers plays the song "Beautiful Dreamer" on his harmonica. Uh, a few hmm. few years later, Peter would be bludgeoned to death with a hammer in Los Angeles.
1: Ooh.
0: Yeah, that will be an episode for sure absolutely peter ivers that is a crazy story yeah another one that you know uh has some drug stories with it and all that Mm. the national lampoon
2: published a tribute to doug by maddie simmons with a cartoon showing a sign next to the edge of a cliff with the inscription doug kenny slipped here
1: wow Okay, so I guess that's would... what
2: you get when you're like an edgelord and then yeah. you die.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they hit him hard. Yeah. I don't,
0: I
2: think that's what Doug would have liked, maybe.
0: Not as hard as he hit the rocks. Oh!
2: <laughs> Hold uh... the rocks,
0: please.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Hello, and nurse. I'll take a cliff, no rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like uh, Doug Kenny on the rocks, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's... Uh... It's hard to say. I mean, it seems like he just slipped. Yeah. But
2: I don't know. I, I Yeah, he could have. I, I, I'd I really have to go down there. Similar to like, you know, the book depository, grassy knoll and all that. I'd lo- I need to see it.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was probably if they're saying that it, it was a fall, there must have been disturbed ground because that would be like you're actually running like you're fighting to stay on were actually just trying to jump, there would be nothing. Yeah.
1: There'd be like one footprint. Yeah, and he did not see the success of the vacation movies. No. Or like how
2: Caddyshack would live on to be like a cult classic mm-hmm. amazing movie that everyone loved. Yeah. He's
1: kind of lucky he didn't see Caddyshack too, but besides yeah. that. And Vegas Vacation. Jackie
2: Mason doing this, doing that, doing this. God, <laughs> oh, Jackie Mason.
0: <laughs> they uh they actually tried to make like a a chain of national lampoon comedy clubs that I worked at. Really? Yeah. Oh. They partnered with Dave and Busters and so they would be uh just random rooms in Dave and Busters <laughs> National that Lampoon Comedy insane. Club. Yeah, this was like 2008, 2009, 2010. So you just
2: walk into the National Lampoon Comedy Room at the Dave and Busters?
0: It would you would have to go inside of Dave and Busters and the National Lampoon Comedy Club would be there, yeah. That
2: sounds like Worse than flappers, kind of. Yeah, it's not <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, it sounds, yeah. Hack. <laughs> sounds like a hack comedy club.
0: Doug Kenny, everything I know about him now,
1: would have cried seeing those clubs being run.
2: Yeah, comedy has died.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Did they well, serve like subversive, funny things on the menu. No. Like hot dog, and yeah. it looks like a dog on a plate.
2: Can I have a Hitler hamburger, please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, no, nothing like
0: that. Hitler
2: had some good ideas hamburger. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: nope, it was okay. just the Dave & Buster's menu. <laughs> yeah.
2: Just the regular old, not funny, not subversive menu.
1: Yeah. I'd like the blueberry booby parfait. <laughs> Coming right up. So yeah, National Lampoon. Let's talk about that for a quick second. That was so synonymous with box office comedies. Yes, you had Vacation, you had Animal House. Yeah, and somehow down the line, I don't know what the hell happened. Obviously, the magazine fizzled out. Yeah, it went off the rails. Well, you didn't have you know
2: the main people, the the spirit of it that was there. It was like it was. Everything that John Belushi, Brian Dolomari, Bill Murray, all those people were. And, like, mm-hmm. there is something around that level of talent that you just, once that's all gone and dispersed and people are doing other things, there's nothing really there. If you get, like, a John Hughes here and there, or you got, like, Al Jean that kind of come and go, there's there, there's no one really tethered to it that actually makes it work.
1: Yeah. You know? That, yeah, and that, the- that's
2: the problem, though. It's a nightmare making it work. That's why uh, Henry Beard and Doug Kenny, they loved it until they hated it very quickly. Mm-hmm.
1: But then in later years, I don't know enough about it to know exactly the deals. But they would sell the name, like they would let people buy the rights to use the National Lampoon's yeah. name, and it would be the worst movies you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like Dorm Days or. Yeah. Stuttering John from the Howard Stern show. He made a movie called National Lampoon presents one too many. And you talk about the worst movie ever
0: created. Yeah, they would license to anybody and everybody who wanted to give them a dollar. Well, we th-
1: could make a movie with their name on it.
0: Let's just get it. <laughs> National Lampoon presents Death and Entertainment.
1: Really? Is it, is it public domain now? Maybe it, we can just use it. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at the list of movies. Yeah, it's probably five bucks. Well, There's like <laughs> three really the good name. ones, like Vacation, Animal House, yeah. Christmas Vacation. And then there's just a long list of like it National Lampoon presents tits and ass <laughs> <laughs> tips down very quickly after that yeah final thoughts.
0: RIP Doug Kenny that yeah. is a crazy life to live. I think uh, it's depressing to know that he never really got to enjoy um, his work. no. even the benefits of his work you know getting the money and everything mm-hmm. um, didn't seem like it did it for him, which is sad.
1: Yeah, it was a large fall from grace no pun intended.
2: It could also be that's what hanging out with Chevy Chase for a
1: week will do to you. Yeah. Make you suicidal. Could be. Yeah, we don't know all the details. Chevy has not provided them. He's very vague on the
2: exact details and I you know, he says that was uh, Doug was his best friend and you know, he cared about him and this and that. I don't know. I it, it, there's just a lot into that that you'll never just never know and I think some people that really know what happened, you know, they're they're scared to actually come out and say exactly what their thoughts are or yeah. their theories. It seemed like he had a lot of people around him that died at, at weird ages, like his brother and John Belushi. And, yeah,
1: you know, good friend. Even Michael O'Donoghue, who lived to be a bit older, but he died in 1994. Yeah. Oh wow. He was just deteriorated from alcohol and drug abuse. Yeah. So these guys were all just yeah. I mean, it's zipped up on 70s, everything.
2: Seventies, man. It's Different time. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, do we have any housekeeping or anything to do at the end of the episode here? Or? We have
1: a few nice comments about our last couple of episodes. Oh, let's hear. Let's hear. You know, someone uh, Mexican and a Jew. This is the name of the user wrote that sounds
2: like a uh an article of the national yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) they loved one of the rides kyle talked about that was crazy at disney world mission space yeah and they agreed with him yeah love it so and then uh we got emily peterson saying awesome podcast as always hey
2: thank you emily we love you
1: Yeah, and then Cromwell Bear, one of our OG fans. He's back. Wrote, genuinely funny again. Love this pod. There we go. Shout
2: out, thank you. And then
1: (laughs) we touched upon the craze that Mark... Unleashed. His only with, legs. With his and legs.
0: <laughs> legs. Yeah.
1: On the Storm Chasers episode. I don't you got know how I feel. Everybody
2: worked. The legs. Man,
1: I mean, you got the dedos worked up. I saw that. With yeah. that. They've been they be feeling a certain something. Hot and steamy. That's why I got them shined
2: up. I got,
0: <laughs> I
1: got my shine box ready. <laughs> I went home and got my legs buffed. <laughs> <laughs> And Tim Law said, those calves are about as good as this episode. Hey. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I'm blushing over here. And then uh, we have Braxton Greenwell wrote, I enjoyed this one.
0: Very nice. <laughs> okay. I guess not the last one. Very insightful. Right. So, yeah, a lot of nice stuff out there. We'll That's great. It. We'll take it. Thank you, everybody. Make sure you go check us out on Instagram, TikTok, uh, Patreon, you can go there. You can
1: get a free trial to our paid paywall subscriber-only content, okay? Please, dude. Including our episodes on John Mark Carr, which is not to be missed. It is not. And then an upcoming Disneyland yes. supplement to our Disney World episode. Exactly. Yes. get out there.
0: So there's a lot going on. Make sure you uh, get into it. Send us an email at entertainment at gmail.com if you want to give us an episode, uh, suggestion, a recommendation, something you want to see on this podcast. Uh, and uh, I think that's it.
2: That's all. That's yeah. all, folks. Thank you so much.
0: And until next week. Don't go dying on us.
2: <sighs> Bye. You have just heard.
0: A true Hollywood murder mystery. I have never seen anything like this before. The
1: movies, Broadway, music, television, all of it.
2: A place that manufactures nightmares.
1: Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Good night. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon.